0: Welcome to the Pete on Software Podcast, where we program with passion. This is the podcast that discusses technology, the business side of software, and the tech people that drive our industry. And now, here's your host, Pete Shearer. Hi, and welcome to Episode 3 of the Pete on Software Podcast. I'm recording this on Wednesday, January 15th, 2014, and today I want to talk about something that really gets on my nerves. I didn't mean for my first three podcasts to form a trilogy of sorts about hiring and tech careers, but circumstances have kind of just pushed me that way. I'm much too impulsive in my personal pursuits to have planned it out. There's a story over at Mashable called Why Non-Tech People Should Apply for Tech Jobs, and it has over 11,000 shares. So people are reading it, that's what I'm saying. So if you're interested, you can see it over at tinyurl.com slash ksjjbyz. Before I get started, I want to be clear about what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's some artificial barrier to entry into the tech field. I feel that anyone can pursue any career that they like. However, while I'm not imposing an artificial barrier to entry, there is a barrier to entry in the tech field, in my opinion. First of all, a person needs to be technically inclined. You can't really know that until you try it out, so I'm definitely someone who's for more computer science in the schools at all grades. I had to take art every year, so why couldn't people have much more required computer science classes? Then people could make more informed decisions as they enter college. But I'm digressing a little bit from my main point. And that main point is that no matter how much training some people get, they just aren't cut out for a tech career. I've seen it over and over and over again. So this article says, and I'm quoting here, If you own a smartphone, tablet, or even if you just glued to your laptop, you're aware of the tech revolution. But have you ever thought about how it could impact your career? So what, you may ask. I'm not a tech person. That's where you're wrong, job seeker. Even non-tech people can successfully apply for tech jobs and quickly develop tech skills. Skip me skip ahead a little bit. Even if you don't have a tech-related degree or any experience, if you are smart and a fast learner, you can learn technology skills and gain experience on the job. Little more skipping? Tech isn't a mystery. Like any other skill, tech skills can be learned on the job. These days, a lot of job training is done informally through observation, interactions with coworkers, and hands-on projects. In tech, you'll get all three. Smart people with good learning skills can apply for any job, especially entry-level jobs. Most tech companies are always seeking candidates for positions in business intelligence. Think project managers, product developers, or business analysts. These positions are great ways to leverage your current skills and learn more about tech-specific ones on the job. Oh. My. Gosh. Alright, listen. For the record, I want to say I hate when people, even technologists, especially technologists, make it seem like what they're doing is curing cancer, when they're just putting forms over data or making the next social network for penguins. But at the same time, this stuff isn't exactly easy. As I've ranted before... It's hard enough to find qualified people, and now they're urging people with no relevant skills to apply en masse? And sorry, I respect BAs too much to think that any Joe off the street can do that job. I know people who have trained for it for years who really can't do that job very well. And project managers? If your idea of a PM is just someone who attends meetings and takes notes, then I'm sure middle managers and crappy supervisors the world over can fit the bill. But I'm not talking about that. A good PM has a ton of different skills that you don't really find outside of people who are already PMs. Because of the tech shortage, there are already too many people in developer, BA, and PM jobs who don't really belong. And don't get me started about too many schools that are churning out people who have degrees but didn't learn anything about technology. Schools that hand out A's and then the students can barely cobble together an if statement in any language. And definitely don't get me started on people with certifications who memorized a brain dump and now consider themselves MCSEs or MCDBAs. The article isn't total trash. I do agree with it in one front. They offer these three tips. Do some self-learning. They go on to suggest all the available online courses, you know, basically Coursera, etc. Be aggressive. You need to showcase your desire to hop into tech. That may mean going above and beyond in the hiring process by turning in a video or infographic resume attending networking events, or setting up informational interviews with executives you admire. Agree to lower wages at first. Building tech skills takes time. The industry is worth billions, sure, but you can't expect a high starting salary out of the gate. While you should always be paid fair wages, expect them to be lower until you learn to master the skills you need. Now this I can get behind. If you're really interested, self-learning proves it. I talked about this in the last podcast, so you guys know how I feel about that. If you really will put in the work and you can show it, I have no problem bringing you on because I know that you're going to get it. Being aggressive and persistent is another way to show that you want this career. And nothing seals the deal better than working for, quote, trial wages. If you truly are a beginner, you have to be willing to be paid like one. But I'm the world's biggest believer in betting on yourself. If you make that deal, it's like the equivalent of an athlete's incentive-laden contract with a big upside if you succeed. Then you're showing people that you are all in and you are taking the lion's share of the risks in this deal, not the employer. And I love that. Look, too many people want to just make all kind of money and not have any responsibility for what that money means or where that money comes from. Think about stocks. If you are in a safe stock, that stock isn't really moving up all that much and you make a little bit of money because you've taken a little bit of risk. But the places where the most risk is to be found are the places where the most gains can be had. It's the same thing here. Anything in life. There's a big risk here you might be taking. If you're trying to switch careers midstream, then sometimes you do have to take a big risk. And sometimes it might be working for less to get started. There are people who will do free internships, make websites for friends, make websites for small businesses in the area. It doesn't matter. Just do the work. Be coding you're a business analyst or if you want to be a business analyst at your current job, work on the skills that get you business analyst skills. Work on developing requirements or documenting processes, things like that. You can't just decide at the last minute because you know how to use Microsoft Word that you can get a tech job. But what's my final point? Listen, if you want to pursue a career in technology, do it. What I don't want is you coming to this field just because there are good salaries to be had here. If you're coming to this field just for the money, I don't want to work with you. Go do something else. I'd rather work a 70-hour week because we're short-staffed and we can't find anyone than work 40 hours with someone who couldn't code their way out of a paper bag but thinks they're God's gift to programming because their friends ask them for help with their smartphone. If you're smart and you enjoy creating and you're ready to have to learn for the rest of your life and never rest on your laurels ever, then I welcome you in. If you can't handle that, please consider brain surgery instead. It pays well too. Okay, just kidding. Kind of. I have three recommendations for this week. The first one is a website called caniuse.com. As you're out there trying to push the latest and greatest with your web development, you may not be sure what is supported and where. The current state of the world is so much like the late 90s with browser-specific features, and it can be hard to keep track. caniuse.com shows you which browsers support what and also lets you know what percentage of the global market supports what feature based on browser statistics. For instance, if you wanted to use web storage, you can use it on IE8 and above, Firefox 25 and above, Chrome 31 and above, etc. Then they tell you that 87.76% of global traffic supports this feature. But that Safari and iOS Safari don't support it when they're in private browsing mode. This is definitely a must-bookmark resource for web devs. The second recommendation is for a tool called Semantic Merge. You can check it out at semanticmerge.com. I heard about this over on the Herding Code podcast on episode 183 where they interviewed the president of the company that makes it. Basically, this tool understands the language that you're diffing and merging in. So most text-based merge tools would see a problem if I move a method. If someone also changed that method, it isn't readily apparent because you just see a bunch of minuses and a bunch of pluses. Their tool, which has a very nice UI, especially for the visual merge, would instead realize that the method was exactly the same and that you have to deal with the parts that change as far as the actual changed code, not location. Give it a look over at semanticmerge.com. The third recommendation is for the app icon creator over at makeappicon.com. I used this the other day and it couldn't have been easier. I made a 1024 by 1024 version of my app icon dragged it onto the page, and it gave me all of the sizes of app icons that I'd ever need for iOS, Android, and even the app stores. There are apps that will do this for you, but I really appreciate the ease of a website that does it. Resizing isn't difficult, but it can be time-consuming, and the app icon creator did all of this in less than a minute. If you need app icons and don't want to be bothered with remembering every possible size you need, and with spending some time in an editing tool or writing and running scripts, then definitely check out MakeAppIcon.com. That's it for this time. You can, as always, find me on Twitter as at Pete on Software, at my blog PeteOnSoftware.com, or send me an email at the address on the About tab on my blog. Until next time, and remember that Wu-Tang is for the children.